Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gather round the fire. It's time. Or the computer or the telephone. Or your car. In your car. And listen, this is This Life with Dr. Drew and Bob. And, and we, we have a guest I'm so excited to meet. Yeah, Bob is, I've never seen him bursting at the scene quite like today. <laughs> I have so uh, much to say. Our, our guest is Kitty Bruce. The book is How to Talk Dirty and Influence People by Lenny Bruce, her father. We are going to be discussing in detail the Lenny Bruce Foundation, what can be done, what she's interested in doing. The web, the Twitter handle is at the real Kitty K I T T Y Bruce. Website is LennyBruceOfficial.com, LennyBruceOfficial.com. So check all that out. Uh, Lenny Bruce Memorial Foundation was created in 2008. Uh, it's growing and changing to meet the needs of its mission, which is helping men and women with scholarships for treatment and with education support for people who suffer from alcohol and drug addiction. And uh, that... That, that and that is in yes, it's right up our alley indeed. And, and that though is just a little piece of what we're going to get into today. We got so much to go. So Bob, I'm going to kind of let you drive the ship a little bit. So um, it's a big honor and privilege to meet you, Kitty. And you know, I'm hugely influenced by your dad. Drew knows that. Well, let's talk, talk about that. What, what was the influence? Well, my dad died when Sorry, I Kitty, was... Sorry, Kitty, we're going to talk about yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we want to hear about the guest someday. Well, I, kind of, yeah. I kind of briefed her a little bit. My dad got sick and died when I was... He died when I was 14, got sick when I was 13, at a time where boys need their fathers, right? Mm-hmm. And he was gone, right? And so right at that time is when the movie Lenny came out. And my sister mom, which is a whole nother story. <laughs> I have a sister who actually gave birth to me and was raised as my sister. My sister used to take me to movies. I think that was her way of being with Bobby, her son. But I always thought I'm just, I go to the movies with my sister Nancy, wow. just her and I. She took me to see Lenny when I was 13, whenever, I think it came out in 74. I was About 13. Right. Yep. I saw that and my dad wasn't around and I said, that's, I want, I want the message of that, that rebellious stand up to authority at, at any cost. I want that guy to be my dad. (laughs) (laughs) How how was it? (laughs) So meeting the person who actually had him for a dad, I imagine it wasn't what I thought as a young boy. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Far. I think it was far from it. (laughs) (laughs) Did, Did you, was he around? Was he engaged in your life? Um, my father was around in different periods. When I was uh, two, I think two and a half, he was raising me. He was raising me on his own. Yeah. And then um, later on, he'd go on the road, and then I'd stay with my grandma Sally. That his mom or your mom's mom? His mom. His mom. She was uh, one of the first female stand-up comedians. I did not know that. Yes. That's interesting. So... He was in my life a lot, and he was not in my life a lot. There was a, he wasn't sometimes emotionally available. I didn't expect that he was. And but were any dads of that generation emotionally available? Were they, Drew? 
Yeah, traditionally? Yeah, well, not traditionally. My, my dad was a little intrusive. <laughs> a little too available. <laughs> still controlling. I don't think that he did, that he acted the way he did on purpose. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of stress from his trials, I think um, fighting, fighting not to go to prison so he could exercise Not his, to go to prison, Drew, for saying the word fuck. Yeah. I know. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> What, what do you? That's think? one of Drew's favorite words, by the way, Katie. By the way, <laughs> okay. And, and 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 why? I, I was thinking about last night as I was preparing for this, and I was thinking, why was someone on such a campaign to get? It felt like there was somebody or some group or some something. The content. It. Here's here's it in a nutshell. My father was speaking about different topics that at that time period people didn't talk about. They knew, but they didn't talk about it. Yeah. So we're dealing with now the church, homosexuality, freedom of speech, racism. Oh, yeah, he had Se- a lot sexu- of enemies. Sexuality you got the, generally. You got the Catholic Church, the federal government. No, I okay. get it. I, I <laughs> so, get it, but, it's, it they, but he went sort of away, and they kept going after him. Well, and no, so he fell. could have stopped, but he wouldn't stop. And that's the message I got as a 13-year-old boy, even in the face of adversity you stand up for what's right and everybody wants a dad like that do you understand yeah well let's I, let I the daughter talk <laughs> i guess you don't <laughs> so the, the point that i was uh was getting to is that um he made a lot of people very uncomfortable and he made a lot of influential people Extremely uncomfortable. Do any any particular? So I'm going to get oh, to that. Okay, this is what I thought. It just yeah. it just seems so there's now, such energy going okay, on. Okay, so so you have him. Let's say he's in Chicago. Okay. Yeah. And Chicago is a very strong Italian Catholic place at that time. So now he's talking against the church. He's saying that you know. Eight people are living in a room, but the church was, you know, had gold everywhere, and he thought it was hypocrisy, yeah. which was his big thing. He could, yeah, not, he and could he could not point tolerate. it out with humor. Yeah, right. And so, the things that he talked about made people so uncomfortable in the powers that be, uh-huh. and he he got the wrong people. He got the wrong people angry. Were there particular personalities? He... Or can you say? Well, let's see. We'll start in... J. Edgar Hoover wasn't a fan, I can tell you that. No, we'll start in... He had a whole bit about J. Edgar Hoover being a cross-dresser, and it was actually true. I know. (laughs) I mean, if you want to go to jail, that's probably the best way to do it. J. Edgar Hoover, the most powerful law enforcement official in America... You have a and, bit and about the, him being a cross dresser. Okay, so what I'm going to tell you is what, what I'm going to tell you is okay. So just give me because I've got the mind, the, the attention span of a gnat. Okay, so okay, you can work just with stay me up, here. Stay work on with point. Me here. There you okay? go. He was in Philadelphia and he was at a party, <laughs> and my father was a very he wasn't a yada da 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 person when he was off stage. He was quiet and a little reserved and shy yeah so now he's at a party and they're going lenny come on man say something funny get up get up get up say something funny say some do something funny he stood up and he pissed on their carpet (laughs) (laughs) okay and that's funny (laughs) we just laughed 50 years later right (laughs) So 
he pissed on the wrong carpet. <laughs> because that's, that's a metaphor for his life. He did. He pissed on the wrong carpet because the next day, like in the middle of the night, uh, cops are busting through his uh, hotel room door. Wow. And they're trying to uh, arrest him for paraphernalia. Not in, not indecent exposure. No. <laughs> or probably urinating in public. One of, one of my father's, I think, favorite t- for me that I think he was very talented as is that he could match up a disease that would correlate with the drug given for the disease. Now, he loved methadrine. So, well, what disease did he have? Narcolepsy. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, guess what? He, he also not only was he a a uh, a leader. What we call what do you call it? Say breaks through the first you know a revolution. Revolution. It was he the first sort of I know, whatever that word would be uh, in, in what is pioneer pioneers in, in comedy. But uh, many patients have followed suit. Many drug addicts have <laughs> yeah, followed, he, followed he's his a lead. Trailblazer in that for oh, sure too. hundred percent. Because that's now routine behavior, just like comedies. Yeah, very routine. The way he would have produced it, uh, the way patients get their drugs. I very much. Kid, just a side note story. I had a kid, twenty years old. He's supposedly sober. Went to rehab a few times. He's in sober living. He gets pulled over, stoned out of his mind on pot, and he he gives his marijuana card with his driver's license no. to say that it's okay to drive because <laughs> I have a marijuana card. You, you, that's that's standard procedure, Bob. That's the first time you've seen that. Yeah, it was crazy. Oh, my, I had people doing that all the time. And the question is, the cop let him go? No, he gave him a ticket because he was too. Do it too all the time. They don't have a way oh, of yeah. testing for it. They don't. Yeah, but they, California they, is nuts with the pot. You gotta. You're out in in uh, Potland, USA. Only a, only Colorado. Potlandia. Potlandia. <laughs> this is good. Potlandia, I love yeah. it. So 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 he had doctors that were friends of his, right? That would say he has narcolepsy. He needs this for narcolepsy. He would, and then how he got around why he had to have syringes. He said the taste of it is so vile. <laughs> That it makes my stomach sick. I, I can't. I can't you have can't that in my mouth. No, you yeah, can't. And to be so, fair, the President of the United States was getting similar treatment <laughs> at that time. It's, it's true, right? John F. Kennedy. Yeah. Well, so, for same reasons. So after, after he got done getting arrested, then somebody tried to bribe him. and for he what? For uh, They just wanted him to be quiet oh, about the bus. Yeah, and so... He refused, and then he went to the news and starts talking about people trying to bri- to bribe him. Uh, who are the people? Uh, the um, the officials in the government in uh, Chicago at the time. Oh, the, mostly district attorneys, uh. prosecutors. Um, Jesus. So now Not we changed that much. We rewind. No it, no, it really hasn't. A lot of things haven't changed a lot. But he was the whistleblower on society. But what the point I'm right? trying to get God, to... We're these great aphorisms today. Mm-hmm. Yes, Kitty. The point that I'm trying to get to is that he was arrested for his content. And obscenity law was the excuse that was used. It's sort of the same thing as Al Capone and tax evasion. Yes. yes. Okay? Content. Yeah. Obscenity law. Mm-hmm. And so that was a constant... So, so the obscenity law was the conceit for all the legal problems, but the energy behind it was coming from the people he was exposing. Very her, much so. And it, so it sounds like it wasn't a conspiracy against him. It was more of these individuals being offended by him. See, but he brought a lot of this on himself. He, now, he had the option 
to, to just plead guilty. No, he had the option to cool it. Shut yeah. up. To shut up. And just to tone things down. A district attorney in Long I Island see, I can't see how he could. said to him, um, Lenny, if uh, you better, you know, you better bring a toothbrush. And, uh, you know, in this town, you're not going to do this. You're not going to say this. You're not going to. That's not going to happen. We don't allow that here. You know, he, so he basically, they told him what not to say, and he would walk out this first, the first, first thing out of his. It. Well, it reminds me of. Uh, <laughs> no, it reminds me of the uh, straight out of Compton. You know, yeah, the yeah, police stuff that they come, they go. You're not going to do this, right? Yeah, they walk out. Boom! First thing they do, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and that's sort of the nature of the beast. And why he's such a revolutionary to comedy is because that opened the floodgates to prior, what, prior, prior. George Carlin. I, really I mean, see Carlin a, a, a and Pryor directly related yeah. to Lenny Bruce. Yeah. And then everybody comes as kind of watered-down versions of that. So there's the, the, the triumvirate is Lenny, Richard Pryor, George Carlin. George Carlin yeah. And then everyone else is just doing their bit. The same right. like your dad was in the beginning, doing a, you know all the old bits. He, did, he, he didn't do mother-in-law jokes. He didn't do <laughs> ba-dum-bum jokes. And then there did come a point to where he said, um, I'm not a comedian. I'm yeah. Lenny Bruce. Yeah. Because at that time, he had things that he was talking about that really made him, inside made him burn. He could sew issues to comedy. The best bit in 59, I think, that he does a bit about VD. A little kid that's got VD is sleep, sweeping up the drugstore. It's really funny. Look at Drew's face. A little kid? He could make... He, well, 16-year-old okay. kid. Okay, I so, so he could make VD okay. funny and culturally relevant because so many people were ashamed of it to go and get this thing knocked out. Did, did he think of himself as funny? Do you think? I wow, you had to pause. I, I don't know. I think that he, what he liked to do was if he could break up the band, then that was good. As long as the band was laughing, he was good. And and that's, uh, I don't think he walked around. Because they always had a live jazz yeah, yeah, band. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that he, you know, walked around being ha ha ha, that that's uh, that's not what he was like. He was he was introverted. And what did you think? Is that you you were in the midst of all this? When I was, I think, six or seven, I was taken to see him on stage. Oh my god! <laughs> and oh boy! So oh boy! Did your mom did this? No, I don't know who brought me. <laughs> so we got we got to get your mom here. I so get <laughs> So I get there, and now after the show's over. He says to me, well, did you like that? Did you think Daddy was funny? I said, no. <laughs> and he said, well, who do you think is funny? And I said, the Three Stooges. Of course. Okay. And then he said, what's the matter, Kitty? And I said, you didn't even say hello to me once. From the stage. <laughs> because yeah. I didn't understand that he was up there doing but, but what he that, did. That, that fits with the sort of general problem in your relationship with him. All that was taking him away from you. Yeah. He took away from he took away from himself and me when it came to heroin. Well, that, yeah, that's where I wanted to there go next. Go. So, so and, and we and, all know about that. Well, no, but no, no, listen. But we lost. You know, here's another great another that one. this freaking disease t- takes from us. Mm. 
and yet it sounded like how long did it take? I mean, how long? How many years was he pretty heavy into his disease before it, it ended his ability to function? He started. He started out. Um, I think smoking pot. I'm not too sure. And then in the Merchant Marines his, or something. His favorite. His favorite um, drug was methadrine. Mm-hmm. Because he could be efficient, he could stay up, he could think, he could write com- everything. Boom, 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 did, boom. Did he ever get a? And so he was on that probably for years, right? And understand now yeah. that yeah. okay, so Lenny Bruce is and, one of maybe ten thousand people in America doing that at that time. Now there are millions of Americans yeah. doing that with Adderall, oh, yeah. college students, yeah. everybody. That drug is. D- disturbingly I, I, abused. I, I, I will give everyone a little break. I rarely do, but I'll give people a little break on that one. That's n- not as bad as the methadrine. The methadrine is hard. Oh, it's not as bad, but they're but using it's the same it. thing. It's yeah. the same phenomenon. They're using it to study and yeah. go to school. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, I didn't know we needed that to go to school and study. I didn't have it. So when he, but if they had had, when he <laughs> had so to come down. <laughs> Could have been a doctor. You guys are rough. <laughs> you guys are a rough room. Uh, when he um, when he started to come down, he would take heroin. Really? And yeah, and so then and then that progressed. Then sure. that would progress. Yeah, yeah. Um, he loved to get high. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. He said that uh, heroin was like kissing God. Mm. Can't so, say I disagree. <laughs> So, you know, that went on for a very Probably long time. God knocks you down on your ass with it, too. Well, false gods. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so your mom, let's tell people a story about your mom. How did they meet? My mother and father met in uh, Baltimore at the Club Charles. She was stripping, and, I, and he was doing a club down the, uh, down the street. And... At two, three in the morning, show people would go and they would have coffee and breakfast and ba ba boop, and uh, that's where they saw each other. And the story goes, my mom told me that they saw each other and nobody saw them for like three days. They mm-hmm. just disappeared. She wasn't stripping. He wasn't doing his comedy, and they were up in the bedroom ordering Chinese and hanging out. Mm-hmm. And it was that fast. And did they stay together from then on, or was it on off? Or they had an an on off relationship because my mother's ability to first she blamed him. She blamed him for for her taking heroin. Oh, that it was his fault. And there's a double bind there. Can I kind of clarify for Drew? She got the blame for his drug addiction, but it was actually the other way round. Right? How mm-hmm. fucked and angry would you be? Mm-hmm. Well, but it's, you know what I mean. Certainly in the movie, she does get the blame. Well, you know why? Because my father's mother was one of the... Well, there's a reason for this, Bob. Well, that's blame. Yeah, it's because my father's mother, my grandma Sally, had a large part in that that film as far as being a consultant. Mm -hmm. So you take a Jewish mother... Who's got a heroin addict for it? Oh, wait a second. She said he was a social user. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a social user. So it had to be somebody else's fault that things went so poorly. You know, so. What was his dad like? My grandfather was a British Jew. Uh, Very, uh, he was a bigot. He was a bigot. 
He was in. The, he was in the military. Uh, I just get the for, feeling for, that there was somebody beaten on your dad. With my a military father was thing. always in search of an attaboy. Yeah, that's yeah. what he really wanted. He said one time. Um, it's a little bit of a Jewish thing. <laughs> he said, you know, he said, when a kid says, you know, ma, ma, I want a glass of water. He said they don't want the water; they want the hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! So he's a very sensitive man. Extremely yeah. sensitive. Very oh, sensitive. He, I would always thought he'd be harsh, but he's very no. sensitive. That that turn is the opposite. He, he had bits. Drew, I got to get you the DVD, the CD collection. He had bits about divorce in 1961 about get the kid. The kid is the whole thing. Yeah. It's the truth. That's what they did, though. Did you get? Did you go with him? I was used as a pawn, oh. but the, not not in an old victim way. It's just uh, he he felt that my mother was incapable and an unfit mother, so they went to court. And now, and, and they had a strange thing where they were sh- performing together for yeah, a long yeah. time. Where the, he was stripping, he was stripping, and he was the minute that that ring went on the finger. And they were married. He didn't want her to see. Okay, there was nobody going to see his wife. That was it. That's a pretty standard move. <laughs> so that was the end of that. No, but I mean, every guy that I've ever talked to <laughs> dated a stripper is like, I can handle it, man. I can handle it. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and so then they became a, a double act, and she would sing and he would do comedy. Mm-hmm. And um, then after that, he wanted to go to California and he wanted to write scripts. And uh, Was there a real opportunity for that? Really? At the time, there mm-hmm. was. And then somehow he just morphed into he just morphed in, into being Lenny Bruce. One of the reasons because that he was he was trying to write and get writing jobs, but then he was doing stand up at jazz clubs. Oh, so it and became, that's where it began. Became a is, thing. He would say, you know, when you're in a jazz club, it's a bunch of drug addicts and yeah. near do wells in Hollywood, and he would say shit that just blew the band's mind and like I can't believe you just said that and he started getting into well, it well he was saying things and that he could say because the audience wasn't listening <laughs> they were well, going also, bring what, her on bring on Tootsie <laughs> bring Tootsie on was it a mixed and, race and audience so, yeah wondering. yeah so that's interesting right and he's a Jew at the time that was a big that was a there was a real tie between the well, African American community here's and the, the Jewish community oh for sure here's Absolutely. the deal here's the deal when he went to war there was black blood spilled yeah Okay, Italian blood, Jewish blood. He comes back to the States. He goes to sit at a counter, and there's a sign saying, for whites only, the Jim Crow no, stuff. no yeah. colors. And he was infuriated. Yeah. So as a result, he started doing bits about racism. Yeah. And it's 50 years later, and you know what? It's the same. same. Man, it's just the faces have changed. But the story is the same, and the faces have changed. And so Lenny Bruce was talking about this stuff in 1959, Drew. Yeah, yeah. No, listen, I'm, I'm aware. <laughs> I, I didn't know you were a Lennyologist, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, let me tell you some fun stories. You want to okay. light, lighten everything up for and, a minute? And then, and then we will get into addiction so and the foundation. we got know, a lot to get through, kids. Everyone so thank I you. know loves your dad. A lot of my friends, the Chili Peppers and musicians and Perry Farrell, we all well, just they, love they, your dad. They strangely, it, you know what's it, interesting? It appealed to rock no, musicians. No, I'm so tell much. you, Bob, uh, they, he was the first rock musician. He was the first rock star. <laughs> first rock star. Well, how do you how do you define that? He got on a stage and did said, whatever the F you. he wanted. Yeah, yeah. And then and then the music became the the standard bearer of that. John and now, Lennon and, and now comedy's yeah. back. 
Comedy's Comedy back is, again. Yes. Yeah, in, in a weird way, it's sort of being the standard bearer of social But who commentary. is that person now, Chris Rock? I don't know who that person Louis is. Louis C.K.? Louis? Mark, maybe? Mark Marin. I mean, these guys are all comedians. They're all carrying So anyways, the- let me tell you this funny story. So John Fashanti, the Chili Peppers guitar player, he was 19 years old when he became a multimillionaire. And he bought this house on Hollywood Boulevard. And then You didn't I, burn that one down too, did you? Huh? You, that's the one we burned down. <laughs> We? <laughs> well, I was supposed to look after him, and it went, it went terribly wrong. But that's not the point of this story. So, so, so I, you know, knew about your dad so much, and I said, you know, I think Lenny Bruce's house is around here somewhere. So we went walking around, me, Flea, and John, kind of in a drug haze, kind <laughs> looking of, for your dad's of? house, and we found it. And we rang the buzzer and said, "It's the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Can we come inside and look at the house?" And it was Yakov Smirnoff owned the house. Wow! Did you know? That? Did you know that the com- the comedian no. Yakov Smirnoff bought your dad's house? <laughs> does he does he understand? Is that why he bought it? I think so, but he wouldn't he, let us he's in. A smart guy. He wouldn't let us in. That house but, has had a turnover of some of the most interesting people. There was a guy by the name of Charles Tracy, and I think that either he was a um, he he said that he had has a room for my father downstairs. That that was where my father was, and it was just. It seems that nobody ever stayed in that house for too long. <laughs> I don't. Where, where, it's on I, Hollywood Boulevard, but eighty-eight twenty-five yeah, Hollywood yeah. Boulevard. Hollywood, it's on, I, Hollywood it's on, Boulevard starts again at Crescent Heights. Oh, it's all the way, the hills. Yeah. Oh, yeah, all yeah. the way up in the Hollywood Hills. Oh, yeah, up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a nice area. Oh, it was nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at that time, we lived across the street from Tuesday Weld, and the Rifleman Chuck Connor. Chuck Connor. And his mother lived across. And the, his mother, yeah. How weird is that? And lived maybe across. Maybe kept her clothes. Okay. Kept, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, they should. Sick or something. I don't know. I'm trying to understand. It's a beard, Drew. Look, you're in your oh, friends. Oh, I'm oh, lucky you didn't burn his house down. He <laughs> <laughs> was. So, Chuck Connor was gay, was he? I, I don't know. I think maybe he was an interesting guy. He played on the Brooklyn Dodgers. You know that Chuck Connor? Did not yeah, know yeah. that. Gee, there's so much interesting stuff that if you don't pay I attention... I was sitting in my bedroom, a nerdy kid, for 15 years. Do you know what I mean? I know a lot of shit about stuff. I read a lot of stuff as a kid. Because when As my family fell apart, I just retreated to my room and listened to records give me, and, give me and read minute. books. Let's do a minute on Aloe Recovery House. Aloe. Tell, tell Kitty about that. Well, that's this place so... So Drew and I had a rehab center. I don't know if you know our history. We had a rehab. He had it for 10 years before I was there. Then we had then it for years and somewhere. years. I stole them from somewhere else. And yeah. Then. And then we started noticing, you know, we always had a waiting list and there was people and every bed was full. All of a sudden it was just got less and less and less. And we started hearing about Malibu. There's these <laughs> rehab centers in Malibu. Oh and I'm like, fuck Malibu. Then when we started getting like half census and half to float stuff, I was like, what the hell is going on in Malibu? So I went out there and it's all kind of assy kissy, everything that you would think, you know, mm-hmm. you know, swimming pools and movie stars. <laughs> so, so. After we it's, ended it's all our, Beverly our Hillbillies rehab. out there? Uh-huh. <laughs> Only Beverly Hillbillies? <laughs> Go ahead. We, but after we ended having our rehab, I, I tried to start one in Hollywood, and nobody came. They all want to go to Malibu. That's because so. they were all at high. You <laughs> <laughs> had a party I, and nobody came. Yeah, I had a rehab and nobody came. So I got involved with these guys who had a sober living in, in Malibu, and I said... You know, and they wanted to start a rehab. And I said, what if we started a real traditional, like how it should be done rehab in Malibu for affordable cost? Thank we, you. Both, we would both, kill it. 
Yeah, both uh, sort of priorities, meaning standard. Real treatment. It, we call it you know 12-step facilitated with medical management. Yeah. You said I said something about medical. Yeah, we were worried that you were suggesting Suboxone. No Suboxone. Yeah, but you have medical management. Yeah, yeah. Have, Psychiatrists and right, doctors. You have yeah. medical needs, whether it's withdrawal or psychiatric issues or post-acute withdrawal. Yeah, you yeah, yeah, that. yeah. And, and you do, what I was asking about was whether you do other sort of professional services like cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah, CBT. We have a whole, uh, we have, it's so, we have real doctors of psychology, not Mm -hmm. just people from AA making 20 bucks an hour. It's real treatment in the heart, in the belly of the beast in Malibu. And I would love for you to come and meet everybody. I would love to come see it too. I know how much you're interested in treatment and we can maybe switch gears now and talk about what kitty's we, we, doing we will but I, you mean no no but, rock therapy or no no, 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 no. <laughs> there is a thing once a month that we do uh, uh sweat lodge but Ooh. you know that's pretty fun do you do it with I, a, I haven't done it yet i always say i'm going to do the next one i've never do you done do it with it. a native american like uh shaman or something or yeah there well there's a guy that's that's uh, has a place up there in the frank lloyd wright property up there you know in malibu i, I, I don't know they do these I'm, I'm hippie hippie stuff and, and, but but we also support social model treatment which is sort of the new like jason waller's place long term long term independently would you like to know what i think about this and what i did yeah okay i thought when i first got clean that somebody should have given me like a how-to guide and when i went into a supermarket and I had to make a choice between Campbell's soup or another kind of soup. Cheaper soup. Overwhelming. I, it, yeah. I was so overwhelmed yeah. Yeah. because my brain was yeah. usually only had three thoughts. You, do I have enough? Where can I get it? And when, you know, and when? Am I high? Yeah. So yeah. It, it came to mind to me, okay, you know what? So if incarceration or in a rehab, when you only have three thoughts... And then you're going to get another set of three thoughts and your brain isn't, it's not working. It's not functioning. People needed to be taught how to use their brain. So what I did was I opened up Lenny's house and it was a 16 room place. Where? And uh, in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania of all places. Five, like five minutes from my house. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it was gorgeous, Mm. gorgeous. And so for every paying client, and first of all, it's obscene to me, obscene. The payments. To, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Who, who, what, could, what could you possibly be doing? 30000 yeah. 60000 They're and, out and of their minds. The other part about that first six to 12 months is you don't even remember what the hell's going on after, you know, when you get out of it. You're just, you're. The first you're three months, you don't remember hardly yeah, at all. Yeah. Well, Post-acute was Here's on. my experience with what happened. So I thought that if I felt this way, I bet you there was a lot of other people that felt this way. So I started the Lenny Bruce Memorial Foundation, and my main goal was to be able to help women in early recovery and teach them how to use their mind, yeah. how to, what to do with idle time, Mm-hmm. Kitty, we always said we got to take them just to get a driver's license. Yes. You know, how do you how do you get take a, driver's a bus? License? Yeah. How do you take, and yeah. I found that these that they could didn't know how to take a bus or didn't know how to grocery shop. Simple skills like that. Or or if even if they had the skill set, they were too overwhelmed to 
too overwhelmed. I think. So the millennials what, really have never done those things, yeah. but there's another generation of 35 to 45 mm. that really have forgotten how to do that. Yeah. So right? what I need yeah. to tell you, excuse me, Bob, what I need to tell you is is that it, the the module worked. It was a four month stay. Yeah, and you, and got, you learned to for the first months. The first first month was habitual meetings get up go to the gym go to yoga then the second and third month was being able to balance out meetings and work when when did you set this up uh i bought it and i know it took me a couple years to get the um the uh, 501c3 non-for-profit this is you you are yeah this is what we've been talking about see this is why I'm so what tell- treatment needs to no, be. No, but this is what I'm trying to tell you. I've been wanting to see the both of you for a really long time. And it's because I thought, okay, if I could take this module and bring a couple of these thoughts that work, you know, maybe there would be some kind of... You, you got to get her together with Jason, too, you Jason know, Waller, because Jason has had a very similar experience as a young male coming to the same exact conclusion you came to and has actualized a little program around the same same kind of modeling. With women, um, the ratio for one man, it's easier to take care of one man than seven women because they're so... <laughs> no, this is true. And I couldn't figure out why there weren't any recovery houses for women. And I found out why. They're hard. They're tough. (laughs) They're either moaning, "Eh, eh, I don't feel like getting up, I don't want to do this. It it just... Well, the real, the real drama, the fighting, what? the fighting, and the drama. The fighting and a lot of because the... easy, it's very easy for women to get the sim- the same kind of a buzz from drama that they got from drugs. So they can they'll they'll create drama. Not, not no fault of theirs. It's just no, it's just I it just yeah. that's how it was. And but... see, and you had an all women's center, right? What happens when you put mix? Most treatment centers nowadays are co-ed, which I'm not really crazy about. I, I, yeah, we are. And yeah, that I, makes the women focus on the men. I yeah, hate I, to say I, it. I, yeah. I well, think... here's a reason for that, and I'm going to tell you why. I sat them down. I said, ladies, I want to tell you a couple things. That is what's going to happen. Okay, your menstrual cycle is going to come back. Okay, you're all going to do it because, together. No, because the menstrual cycle <laughs> yeah, stops the opiates, yep. and skips. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I said, so that's, and opiates too. That's 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 going to come back. Yep. You are going to want to if a tree is over there, you're going to want to marry it. <laughs> you want to hug it. You're going to have go to bed with that tree, and it's the best tree you have. You want to take that tree home to your parents and invite the tree. That's really that's a, that's that that's not perfect. an insight. Yeah, that it's perfect. perfect. It's not an insight I've heard really. But it's right. So I so I've hip them to what was going on, yeah. you know, and teaching them to communicative we, we, skills. We, we would always say, well, the sex and love addiction will come out. That's what we sort of. That's the language we. No. No, they've but, been shut down. Their hormones, no, no, they the, haven't you're, had you're, anything. more primal, I'm a biologist. Got, She's right. She's right. It got sealed up for a long no, time, right. and then all of a sudden it was like, hey, let me out, let me yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, Hello, right. ladies. So yeah. no, that, She's right. You know, and... Um, and then we have a bunch of predatory men in, in a place with people, women yeah, yeah. behaving like that, and it's not good. Not no, good. so my, my hope is that... Um, so now we do... Um, fundraising for scholarships for people who cannot afford or don't have the insurance we got to do something about that piece 
Yeah, insurance needs to pay for the treatment that the clinicians think is valuable instead of what they think they should have. Stop it, Bob. Because I guarantee you, you they want them sitting in a group talking about their belly buttons, and we can charge 150 bucks. But that's what I'm saying. You're living in a fantasy land. The insurance companies, no. But we have to find a way. <laughs> we have to, I don't know if it's a... I think it's a go back to cash, a little uh, bit of treatment, a little bit of cash. I like the 401c3 idea that, that these are... And you can then fundraise well, around it. Because, because I could... Um, my thing was I get... the. I think the most we ever charged was $3,500 a month. And we covered... That was us too, right? We everything. Like, well, we, we, how much we do for a month? At, at, at initially, it was seventy two hundred for twenty eight days at Briar. Twenty eight days. So, but we, but that was with it, full medical model. This, this whole, the, yeah. it, they, they had everything. We, I took them to see the Rockettes. I took <laughs> Joe. The, we were, we were going. I'm sure. And I wanted to stimulate are, their minds. Are, are you the? Are the you have you have people working with you? Do you have other counselors and things? Lenny's house had to close in 2014 for the very reason I do not belong in administration. <laughs> because, no, because I scholarshiped too many people. Yeah, yeah. That's, how, that's why you, we're out of business. Yeah, that's why we, Our hospital didn't want us there because it was too expensive. That. Yeah. So now that I've gotten a different view, yeah, yeah. but the same module, I think that it works. Yeah. And it does work. Oh, there's no doubt it works. You know, and, no um, and, and well, let me I tell believe you. that new re- the, the way to get so because we're dealing with such an epidemic right oh now, my God. such an epidemic that we need a sure shot way. And so, well, but but Kitty, I'm going to caution you. There are no sure shot ways. No, the, and that's no. what people want is a sure shot way. And that's they why want a, they want a, a bow and, yeah. and, and and put and we're going to yeah. give Binky back. Yeah, no, it's not <laughs> ha- so you know that's not going to happen. But what I can tell you is because we're living in such a um, pharmaceutical age, yep. they there's stuff being made that can't be tested fast enough. So it has to, and I think whatever administration, whoever it is, is going to be aware that they need funding because this is... Well, maybe it can be administered us. on a bigger scale or something, so it can allocate. You know, I don't know something. I have to think about this. Well, it's going to be a jigsaw puzzle, is what I think. Right now, the industry is in a shambles, in a time of great need. upheaval and, and need. need. But right? the thing is, it shouldn't. Be, it, I went to an interventionist um, thing in yeah. Florida at, at the training? Breakers. A training? No, it was this, it was a place where all the interventionists went around to each center they had oh. marketing they had thing. marketing people uh. they had uh, for for eating disorders are over there uh, kickbacks. Uh, That's sexual kickbacks. addictions is over here this is where you go if you want to get uh, equestrian Kitty, oh. I feel like the Lenny Bruce of the recovery Dude, industry I'm I want to sure. expose what a corrupt motherfucker so it's not is. supposed to be a business <laughs> that was not the idea well, that's why I like the 401c3 idea yeah because yes. I think that that takes that out Yes. Uh, and and that's the only way. Uh, insurances will never pay because they'll constantly pressure you. You need to have acupuncture. No. You need to be able to scrub your mind clean and learn. Yeah, how, yeah. You know that. That's I'm, I'm going out to Georgia. Change. I'm going to Georgia to give a talk. Like as soon as we finish this podcast, <laughs> if I, and and that's one of the things there. You know, twelve step is under assault right now. Yeah, it is. Right, and we have all these medical models for treatment. And listen, I'm and I don't want to assail them because. 
I woke up this morning thinking to myself, God, the way we do it, is, it is dangerous. It's dangerous when you, when you go for broke, when you want people to have a full recovery and, mm-hmm. and a uh, flourishing existence again. When you have a th- approaching 50,000 death rate of drug overdoses? Well, it's just, it's just dangerous. Is, it is, is it dangerous. because so many people are dying of drugs that you're feeling that it's dangerous? It's dangerous because you need really skilled people doing it. And there's a number of reasons. Really skilled people need to do it. You need to keep them for a long, long time, and often they bolt or they can't stay, whatever reason. Uh, the When they go back out after I've been sober for a period of time, they die. that's when the overdoses happen. I mean, it, there's a lot of dangerous qualities to it. Are and you so, talking about, excuse me, are you talking opiates. about the clients, the clients, or are you talking about the people who are working? No, the clients, the clients. The working, that's a whole other story. So, <laughs> we're gonna, we're, but, but, but so but, take take me, I, I'm sorry. Well, what so I was there's saying, two take, things take, going take on. Take me slow here. The, okay. Well, well the point being, the point being was, I, I don't want to assail the medicalization of it now because it, it's a, a bid for safety. What about I'm, I'm the profit off to that. of rehab? Hang on, that makes me insane. Yeah, that yeah. makes me. That's what she's talking about. Yeah, it's it's. Um, you have multi-million dollar. All right, we, we, you and I go on and on about that every damn podcast. So let's yeah. not let's not be late. We have K- here's Katie the Bruce deal. Here. <laughs> here's the deal. I got I got a clean and sober in a twelve step program. Yeah. Okay. And well, let me just finish my. Though I'm going to Georgia to talk about all the data that shows how well 12 step works, particularly for long term abstinence. Period. End. Go ahead. I am not uh, the type of person that would go, okay, well, no, no smart recovery. Yeah. Uh, no, no. Whatever works. No. There's a lot of yeah. different approaches and ways to learn how to, to live your life without being two seconds away from a coma. Mm-hmm. And as long as that, what I can see is as long as it's run in a particular way and very carefully, because now if we do get any funding from the government, it's either going to be one or two things. One, I'm taking my butt to Washington and make some noise and say, look, it, we have an epidemic and we need to be able to have some funds allocated to save our future generations' lives. I'm just, I'm just imagining a, the, te- the team of you two in, 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 at, a, at a Senate hearing. We have, the, we have Lenny Bruce's daughter. And the pyromaniac. And, and the Lenny Bruce of, of recovery. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and, and listen, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me do a little bit of business yeah, here yeah. too, because um, I know both you guys have some hepatic issues, and that was I was thinking about our friends at yeah, Bergamet. Would this help us? Uh, I'll take no. anything at this point. No, well, you it might you, you would talk to your guy, your hepatologist about it. it might be, but it's, it's not specifically out more now. About, I'm back on track. About getting treated? About jumping through the hoops to get treated. Good, because right. there's no reason not to. Hep C $110,000 for the medication. Is You're not the, paying it. They're not paying it either and, and because I'm in some sort of remission, they say. Yeah, and there and there are less, like I told you, there are alternative treatments out of there, not the big Oh, high. I can tell you stories about what's been going on with that hepatitis C medication. One is a friend of mine was determined, same as me, that he was in remission. His viral count was too low. He had no cirrhosis, blah, blah, blah. And you're 54 years old, yeah. so you don't qualify for the drug. Right. And then he comes home and he says, he texted me like, 
what did they just tell me? And I said, I think they just told you you're going to die of something else before you die of correct. hepatitis. That's correct. That's correct. But there, <laughs> but, but there, but listen, Bob. There, there are some. There's some combo therapies out there. They're a lot less expensive. Than uh, is you, there? You, yeah, and they're pretty good. You might look at, especially if you have a responsive. Anyway, so I'm okay. not a hepatologist, but I, but I know I keep an eye on that literature. I actually did some of the original research on it on ribavirin. Oh, and, really? And many, many years ago. Anyway, uh, but Bergamot Mega Plus, the guys I'm talking about, it's a nutritional supplement. I almost never go behind supplements, but this is one I am behind. Uh, it's rich in something called polyphenols. It's You're a, taking it yourself, right? I am taking it myself. And I've recommended a couple of patients who have had issues with statins. And this is sort of a natural statin or HMG-CoA reductase inhibitor. It's something that lowers the bad cholesterol, raises the good cholesterol. And uh, this particular product is derived from uh, a bergamot citrus fruit endemic in the Calabria region of Italy. And they've done a lot of research, and the Italian government has dedicated a lot of research to it. And it also works for the metabolic syndrome, you know, body weight here and high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and fatty liver. That was the part that I was mm-hmm. interested in. It, 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 I, I saw some remarkable research on uh, effects on fatty liver f- related to high cholesterol and metabolic syndrome. So Bergamot Megapress, uh, check it out, uh, the website. Uh, let me get it for you. Is bergamet.com, B-E-R-G-A-M-E-T.com, bergamet.com. Uh, go to thislifepodcaster.com and click on the Bergamet banner on those websites. Again, cardiologists, physicians all over the world recommending it. I'm recommending it. It's effectiveness. Many, effectiveness are the subject of many scientific publications, and uh, I'm excited about this product. So t- I'm glad they're behind us here. And uh, it's a privilege to be a part of them. And we're also brought to you by Aloe Treatment yeah. Centers. Yeah, we have good we have good people supporting us, so that's nice. Um, so, Kitty, tell us more about the foundation. What, where do you want it to go? What What do you want it to do? What do you want people to know? What should they if they want to support it? What if, should they do? I if, guess it's is if, if it wants. How do we be, become board members? Now okay. we got to get you. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to make a financial contribution, it's totally tax deductible, and you could go to www.lennybruceofficial.com. LennyBruceOfficial.com? Yeah. Okay, great. There has to, what I would like to do, I would like to bring the module to you. To me? Yes. Okay. And I'd, like, and I'd like you to take what you think is a good idea and see if it works. Well, I know these models work. These social models work. The, the, the only thing I ever worry about with them is that people are getting the, the spectrum of needs met in other words, no one's slipping through the cracks with significant medical or psychiatric or psychological trauma issues that don't get addressed. Now, mind you, the timing of when you treat any of these things mm-hmm. is something of great um, mystery because it's not been well worked out. Uh, sometimes it's just getting through your thing. Many times, most of the time, mm-hmm. just getting through that social model of getting sober, learning how to live. Mm-hmm. Then in six months or a year or two years, mm-hmm. we'll deal with the trauma. We'll deal with the other stuff. And see, the cart is before the horse with treatment because the insurance industry says, you should talk about trauma. You could bill for that. <laughs> like when you're on day 12, you could talk about your father see, abandoning I, I, you. So what, I always, what I've always done with trauma is I like, I like to... It comes out as you're growing. Yeah, yeah. well, I like to explore it. I like to, like to sort of hear, to get a history so I know what I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. And then I like them to discuss it in groups so they can understand they all share this. It's a common thing. Leave it. Let it sit. But it's they're not alone with these trauma. This is something that's a feature of, we're in an epidemic say, of that too right But now. I would say the thing that Drew has helped me understand mm-hmm. is how... My childhood trauma mm-hmm. played out in my life, and I would re-traumatize myself. Mm-hmm. 
by by what I was attracted to, by How what crazy I crazy is that what, about the it's human? So crazy. It's so weird that we do that as humans. It's so and weird. I think women in particular, it's hard for them to see it. it. It's harder. I can get guys to see it because because guy trauma, they get to us. Well, I'm a guy, and that usually mm-hmm. can relate to guys better. But guys will come to me after their third marriage and has failed, mm-hmm. and their life is a wreck, and say, "Dude, what the fuck." And these are people 10 and 15 years sober, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll say, you might want to go talk to somebody about your childhood. That's how I direct it. Because the person is ready to figure out, I've been re-traumatizing myself. There are things about me that AA hasn't helped me understand. You're you're saying yourself personally? I and my friends. I was one of the first people to do it because you were around and kind of inspiring me. At eight years sober, I started going to therapy once a week because he told me, the therapist says, you need to come twice a week after (laughs) about a month. I I think that drugs and alcohol should be dealt with and treated yeah. For that, yeah, I think that other conditions, yeah, uh, bipolar, whatever, uh, yeah. bulimia, well, that dries up uh, really. But, I, but I think some, sometimes that remits when you treat the addiction. Sometimes it becomes a significant issue. And but again, when you do it, is an art. When you go after, right. it, there's a lot of belief, and I think Kitty stumbled upon something that we've been talking about for years. There's a lot of belief that if you treat the bipolar, it goes everything else it, goes every, away. It'll be easier to get sober. No, no it's not. No. Sober <laughs> is fucking hard. Yeah. It is it's hard. Easier it is a number to one hard. sober than it is to get sober. And, and Bob, I would say treating underlying conditions that are affecting your ability to get sober can make sobriety possible. But I think it if takes you, if, away from no, the focus. No, listen, All they do is call on. themselves bipolar. I think that it, it's too confusing. It's confusing. In, but if in, you, in, but if in you, my if, town, yeah, Dr. Drew, yes, in my town, okay, yeah. when I would have... Uh, I worked a lot with the prison system. Mm. And uh, the, the ladies would max out the last six months of their sentence Come at Lenny's you. house and yeah. uh, and it, it was great the state run facilities that would hold females let's say okay mm-hmm. um, would medicate them oh, to yeah, no, such no. a no, point no no no, no, no. Well, that's not okay I mean, no, I'm really, not talking about I'm, I'm talking I, about, so I, when they came to the recovery house, I said, okay, I'm going to tell you what, you're not bringing that in, you can't have yeah, that. This, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm talking happening. about what's necessary to make recovery possible. There are certain conditions that make it virtually impossible to be sober. I mean, even if it's your, if it's your blood sugar, it's out of control, whatever it is. I mean, there's mm-hmm. certain things, and you know me, I'm talking about know, just I on know. the margins, just making sure But I think a lot of your contemporaries want to confuse the addict population oh, by right. saying it's only that. No, no. Well, you know, right? we've been fighting that for 20 I know. years. That's, and it's getting so. worse, just so you uh-huh. know. And so what you can do with a 501c3, which I like, is say, you can say, you want to be here? These are the conditions. Right. It's free. Yeah. I worked at a nonprofit for five years. It was one of the greatest times of my life. I had never worked in real treatment. I worked at a thing called MAP, which is Musicians Assistance Program, mm-hmm. where they did what we wanted or get the fuck out. And, 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 you know and what we, I mean? And we, and, they, exactly. and we had a huge, very high success rate. I would say at least 20%. That's why I got to know Bob was that he was he – was, putting patients in my facility uh-huh. and we love treating the map patients. Are you yeah. kidding me? That, that. And we, he could kick them out because we were, I yeah. worked for a guy named Buddy Arnold who knew your dad and knew Joe Meany. Yeah. Wow. Used to play music with him. Who's Joe Meany? Jazz Meany's. music. Sax player. Yeah. yeah. That my father knew very, very well. Yeah. 
huh. and Philly Joe Jones and the, those guys. Uh-huh. Buddy Arnold was right in the middle of that. He was a junkie, probably with your dad in the late 50s, early 60s. And was he, he a social user too? Yeah, he was yeah. a social <laughs> user that went to prison several times. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know. A nice Jewish boy from yeah. Brooklyn. <laughs> so, Buddy was Buddy's Jewish too? Buddy's Jewish too, uh, yeah, from Brooklyn. Oh, that's so, so, funny. so uh, Buddy Arnold yeah, got sober in 1980 and mm-hmm. started a program for musicians. And it was initially for his friends, Woody Herman, Buddy Collette, mm-hmm. a lot of jazz musicians from your dad's era, and they got sober. And the rock musician heroin explosion was happening in the mm-hmm. late 80s. That included me and all my friends. And he started this program that was no bullshit. And he talked like this. He, I remember one time he, we brought John Fashanti into him one time. And he goes, everybody says you're a fucking genius or something. You probably can't even read music. That's what he said to him. As he's strung out sitting there, everybody gets assessed to go to treatment. And he goes, he goes in his briefcase. He gets a music chart, like a sax chart or something. He throws it on his lap. Because if you're such a fucking genius, read me that. And John can read music and told him, like all hunched over, all high and dope sick, and, and told him, and he grabbed it and he said, Well, maybe you are a genius, but you're, what, what, are you a junkie? Nice. Are you a junkie? Mm-hmm. And John said, Yeah. And he goes, You want help? And he goes, Yeah. And he goes, Want help today? And he said, yeah. And we sent him to you that yeah, day. I remember. That fucking day. I remember. And so it was the most magical treatment thing, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and that's John what you're in. trying to talk about. It's exciting me because you can do the right thing all the time. You John, can. And you it's know, not going to work for everybody. There's a place in Denver. That Denver has tremendous recovery. I've, I've gone to spoke over them called Arapaho House. Yeah. You look into them. They're, they're a community there's supported. There's lots of places around. And, there's a, and in, in, in Dallas, there's some some. Place the, I forget the name of some women's prayer. They're around. We need to all get together. Is the thing. You're right in that we have to go back to doing what's right. And mm-hmm. and I'm in a position where I can't do what's right, and that's what frustrates me. Would you I allow can't, me to be able to? It would be such an honor if I. No, could we work want with you to you be. No, of course. Of course. Yeah, we're gonna this, figure this it out. We're gonna figure it out. I, I am a. I am. Time is my enemy, Kitty. It's it's bad. But I. I, but I, I, I kind of. I push things. I could kind of talk but, for but, him. And so <laughs> I. So I sort of become. Like the consultant, he's kind the of big like gun. He's the big gun, and I do the hard, uh, the hard he stuff. Does do the hard but work. here's, I, here's, here's the most fun. But it, here's the thing: in my position, I can't, as a you know, clinical person working yeah. in two for-profit rehabs, right. I can't say you don't need to be on benzos because their doctor says they need to, and mm. then I'm restraint of trade. Really? I'm, I'm somebody who's not a medical professional telling a client they oh, shouldn't dude. be on that medicine. Then you need to. It's crazy, then right? You need to. Uh, you need to have, find somebody that can. You know, maybe you know one of your so that's the first time I heard that what? was at Los Encinas from Doctor H. Yeah, he told me that I was restraining his trade. Well, it's a little different. Than that. <laughs> hey, let's talk about uh, how to talk dirty and influence people. Let's let's go back to Lenny because we have we have a an iconic individual. I, I want to talk more about history and Lenny and comedy. So what are they going to learn by reading the book? Uh, a, a, different way, a different way of thinking. I think a different way of thinking. I, I had this book released um, 50 years after my father's death. And I thought, because you can even see inside, it's, it says about the Lenny Bruce Memorial Foundation. But the proceeds from this, instead of me getting them, whatever... The part I get can go straight to the foundation. That's so beautiful. You know, and that I just want to be able to make it possible that we can help as many people, as many people as we can. If I can just help one person, 
Because it's not just them. It's their mother, their sister, their daughter, their aunt, their uncle, their son, their it's brother, everybody. their father. I wonder if it's, it could start it, it's if everybody. It could start it like a comedy musician's assistant Well, that's program. the other thing that we're, we... So uh, now it's 21st century, so right? So that's why it's a good idea to buy this book. So here's, here's but, 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 another but fun thing. I think it'd be a great thing if you could get also... But we've been but, doing that. But, but how about women that have been in the stripping or strex trade or something sort of yeah the sharon mitchell this. already has that foundation we uh, yeah i know sharon right? mitchell, but yeah kind of but, but, but maybe here's the, what maybe here's the, what the happens get together here's what happens comedians are notoriously competitive with one another though they're friendly drew drew and i love comedy we went in new york and comedy and it's so weird afterwards they all just sit at a table and don't talk to each other no they'll turn <laughs> on each other no so it was it was bob they're beta they, fish listen, listen to this to table, this. Listen listen to this to table. This. i wish who's the guy from uh Aziz. Well, yeah, Aziz Ansari. And the uh, guy from Mad Men. The guy from Mad Men, the bad, bad They had just done the comedy cellar, uh, and then we're meeting them afterwards. Artie, we're all just sitting at a table. Artie like, Lang. Angry, we had Artie writing Lang. things down. Is <laughs> Artie, Artie and Aziz. And, and Aziz, I go, I go, like Aziz, I go, is your dad really a, a gastroenterologist? I, and now he's on the show, and he is really a gastroenterologist. Yeah. And I go, Aziz, I know... I know your dad. I know about fifty of them. Yeah. <laughs> I know that guy. I know. And he and was not one. They're just about they're, they're just not that funny in real life. Like you said, your dad was withdrawn or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So oh, what geez, happens I've been dealing is with that with Corolla for twenty years. What happens is they're such independent contractors. They're not a unity like there is with musicians. Musicians really are in competition with each other, but they respect each other, and there's this camaraderie of amongst not musicians so and knots in comedy. No. So every time a comedian dies of drugs, everybody kind of rallies around and contacts me because I'm friends with a bunch of comedians. Mm-hmm. We should start a comedy cares like you had at, m- yeah. at MAP. Yeah. The last two comedians that have died, everybody, I'm also the guy that gets all the comedians' calls. I've helped mm. a lot of comedians because they know I love comedy and whatever. So no. we've talked for years about starting Comedy Cares. Jerry, Jerry, um, what's his, uh, the, the Seinfeld? Seinfeld knows about it. Louis certainly knows about it. Chris Rock wants to do it. Everybody wants to start mm-hmm. a drug but, program but, but, and but, a helping but program, nonprofit. A, I know, for, but Kitty is such be a the great icon. figure. And I, she right, could be the a icon. Great figure we could sort of organize it around because her, it, and she knows what, what she's talking about, which is nice. Yes. You know what I mean? That you know the what we're trying to you know do. The beast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you could be the buddy Arnold. <laughs> no, don't make hot. her. No, oh, no, no. Good. You get no. to throw no. music. Kitty, are you a junkie? Kitty, don't do <laughs> you it. Say, are you a junkie? No, Bob. You, Bob. <laughs> pick you, me. Pick me. <laughs> trust me. You don't want to be in that shot. <laughs> Put Bob in that shot. <laughs> <laughs> He was the greatest guy. It, it, it was unbelievable. And that place helped how many thousands of people? I was there. We did 460 people in one year. 460 clients in one year, Matt paid yeah, for Yeah, but it. I see something big here. If we can just sort of start it that way and maybe use it as yeah. a model to reproduce in other ways. There's it's- a reason that I didn't die. There's a reason you didn't die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe it. Well, the reason I know both you guys, and I'm privileged to to do so, to be here and to been a part of your life forever, and now to know Kitty is part of it. So we'll see where this all goes. Uh, I I, we got to wrap this up, yes. Uh, But do you want any more any Lennyology questions before before we do? Because I'm so fascinated. I I always knew you were dabbling and liked. He knows more about my dad, I think, than I do. (laughs) He's obsessed. I didn't know. Do you have any questions? Crazy. You ever heard the song Lenny Bruce by Bob Dylan? Yes. Do you cry? Yes. I do too. Mm-hmm. That, there's a song that Bob Dylan wrote about her dad that's amazing. Maybe we should wrap it with uh, Kitty. Tell us what, you know, give us a, a sense of where you think he fits. You know, what, what, is the, what is that, what is the role he played? 
And I, I would say, and I don't want to say the history of comedy or music. We sort of articulated that a little bit. But I feel he was important. American culture. American culture. And I would like to know what you th- where you think he fits. I think that my father fits in a place that respects and takes care of what and who is in their life and around. My father wanted a kinder, gentler world. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he's he stood up and he and he could have he could have passed he could have not done his act you know and 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 stayed alive okay but he's to be learned from. I, I always thought he wants other people to be like him in the sense that they don't tolerate the intolerable. Is that accurate or is that? Or does that make it too not? Uh, uh, I don't. World? I don't know. I don't know why uh, my father did what he did, but I can tell you that he had an obsession with when he knew that something was was unjust. Was unjust he wouldn't let go. It's like trying to take a bone he, from a, from a doctor. He just wouldn't let Think go. Think about that. Do we well, make no, people no. like that anymore? Well, but I'm I'm thinking about you and your antisocial stuff. <laughs> but but listen, but listen, antisocial has a flip it's side, a, yeah, which is sort of pro-social. Yeah. yeah, and maybe we should really think about harnessing that. You know. Because a lot of antisocial feelings out there in the world today. How do you flip that into a pro-social? This is certainly no Woodstock over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that. But I, I, you know, I try to carry on in that way of I got to look out for myself, but I want to look out for the injustice too. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a tradition that's been around for all of American but, but, history. But, yes, it is. But, but it's but, going but it's, away. It's, I kind of feel like we've been in a little bit of it, and it's been so negative and so hostile and aggressive. What I hear you saying about your dad is he wants that to be people not being that way, not needing mm-hmm. to be that way. Exactly. And so I'm just wondering if... Well, but you can make it funny, though. It is funny. Like, Trump is funny. Come on. It oh is funny. Oh, my God. Funny. Comedians are going <laughs> to... They're never, they'll never be happier if he's, if he's in the White House. Oh, my God. It's, it's funny. When but, he's where? I said if. I didn't say, I didn't say when. You scared me. I'm just saying it's a possibility. It's still a possibility. I know it seems ridiculous, but it's still a possibility. Yeah, that, but that, that, that kind of thing, like, I don't know. I just always thought your dad was in the right place at the right time, and people of his generation stood up and did the right thing. My dad did. Mm-hmm. Many dads did of that generation. And somehow he was in the middle of this zeitgeist about race, about hypocrisy, about religion, at the change. And but we, here, but here's we the thing that the he doesn't rail. like. I think your dad started the conversation about mm-hmm. change yeah. and then it got ruined by the 70s. <laughs> yes. The 70s ruined a lot of people. Yeah, no, I think I, I think to be to even be put a finer point on, I think the 60s knocked it off the rail and then the 70s ruined it. Because a lot of the icons your dad I, I think of more as the 50s but the yeah. 50s icons and 60s icons a lot of them passed away from well, well they were on to something you and i think I mean? in a way the hipster thing is kind of a picking and if you back think up think about that. the year that your father died is the year that bob dylan checked out of society he mm. just said no more i'm not a spokesperson for fucking anything right. because he recognized i'm not gonna die for this mm-hmm. you know what i mean this is signing oh, yeah. up for a fucking heavy all rap. right you guys 
<laughs> we are, are going to have to, speaking of rap, we're going to have to wrap this Thank up. Thank you but so much privilege, for Kitty. allowing me I to hope we'll, to your show. So hope, great. hope you'll be so in our fun. life we'll and hope we'll figure again. something out. It's not going to be quick or easy, but I, I'm, I have faith in you guys. So I know, and I know the need is there. You know, like any mm-hmm. entrepreneur, the idea is solving a Build problem. Build it and they will come. Well, it's problem solving and there certainly is a problem. And if we could just figure out some solutions I think we'd be on to it so more jobs less belly button gazing alright you guys go. we will uh, thank you Kitty the book is called How to Talk Dirty Influence People get it at doctor.com go to Lenny Bruce Official if you, dot com if you want it's just Lenny Bruce Official not the Lenny Bruce Official but Lenny Bruce Official Lenny Bruce Official dot com the go foundation to the website. is the Lenny Bruce Memorial yeah, get, but you can get to the foundation from the yes from yes there. And uh, follow Kitty at, at the real Kitty Bruce. And uh, it's been a privilege. We'll see you next time. There you go. Thank you. I am a host of my own podcast, the Paul Mercurio Show on the Sideshow Network. Uh, all right, listen. I want you to take, give a little listen here to Lenny Bruce. Uh, Lenny, any comic will tell you. Probably even going back to Richard Pryor has been an influence on everybody in this business. And uh, kind of had two careers. Was like. Worked in strip clubs as sort of a real roadie, you know, kind of down and dirty comic and then transformed himself into this unbelievable social satirist. And uh, you just can't help but uh, hear him and then hear strains of him and pretty much all of the heavy hitter comedians that have come down the line since him. And uh, he's a big influence. And if you don't know about him, you should. So that's why I'm putting him on my list. Lenny Bruce, everybody. Being snapping on rapper monsters. Yeah. They think it's the same schlepping a dopey dopey around. Okay, now we're not after you, we're after the cellar. They got four dopeens. This pedro gets them the steak takes and then the city gets them. Okay, I'll be the cellar this week, you're the dopey. Okay. And the schmuck is waiting in the rest Okay, which well he was a Puerto Rican, he had a green car. <laughs> Airplane glue. Airplane glue. Uh kid is six years old. Played by George McCready. Man, it's a prison film now. Charles Bickford, Barton McLean, Georgie Stone, Frankie Darrell, Weinheimer, Nat Pendleton, and the woman across the bay, Anne Dvorak. <laughs> two hooker friends, Iris Adrian. And a word about hookers that they're very disappointing, always. Because Jews are always hungry after they shit up and there's nothing in the icebox. <laughs> hookers icebox is a club soda and that's it. Nothing to eat, eh? The orchid, all right, <laughs> Now the Tower of the Warden, Hume Croon. And there's, you got 18 men, prison guards. There's one guy got a steel plate in his head. They're sitting on the rooftops with Magnus, picking him up. Bang, bang. The Warden. All right, Dutch. This is the Warden. You've got 18 men down there, prison guards, who serve me faithfully. Give up, and we'll meet any reasonable man you guys want, except the vibrators. Can you hear us? Yada, yada. Yada, 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 one. Never mind those Louis Armstrong impressions. Give up, you're a rotten, vicious criminal. Now the handsome would mix up prison doctor, Sabu. Don't cuss them, Warden. I like you, don't you know that? Don't you know that the rent of Rancho Bull cuts you and hurts you? I like that. Get out of you, spick ass. I leave you alone. Don't talk to me that way. You jab, you jab. Will you stop bugging me, Dutch? We're going to start killing you. Yada, yada. Shut up, you putts. I got a headache. Yada, yada. I need with these people. Just kill them. Kill about 20 down there. It'll shape up. Just a moment. Before there's any kidding, I'll get down there. Not you, Father Flotsky. 
Father, you don't understand it. These guys are monsters. On every mattress, they got a knife and a gun. Son, you seem to forget, don't you, that I think stronger than knives and guns. You mean, uh, it's like jujitsu. <laughs> All right, that was Lenny Bruce. Love him.